Evening, everyone. If you're visiting tonight, my name's Matt, part of the team here. It's great to have you with us. I got a really interesting part of the Bible to talk about tonight. I've always loved this story that I'm gonna talk about uh, tonight. It's one of my favorites. There are some great little stories in, uh, in the Kings. And uh, for this series, uh, I've chosen my favorites and assigned all the other stuff to everyone else. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I could, I just, the, uh, each one of these stories is, um, is amazing. Um, and this one has, has always, had quite an impact on me, and it's not a very well-known story, but uh, I, think, I think there's a lot in this for us tonight. Let me give you a little bit of background to this uh, story is set in the time of the divided kingdom, just after the time of the kingdom of David and Solomon, made up of the original 12 tribes, that was split in two, into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, they became the Jews. Now, the northern kingdom very immediately pretty much turned away from God. We talked about Jeroboam, you remember, was the northern king. Northern kingdom turned away from God into idolatry, while the southern kingdom, with Jerusalem and the temple at its centre, in most cases, they preserved the ancient faith. And this story tonight involves um, two characters, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah in the south, he's the good guy, and Ahab, the king of Israel, in the north. And uh, this guy is kind of infamous Bible character. He was, um, uh, this guy seemed to do everything, everything wrong. Uh, so these two guys are the main um, characters in this story. I'm gonna particularly focus on uh, Jehoshaphat tonight. But often when the Bible wants to get a really important point across, it often does that by using a contrast. It contrasts two characters to say, you should be like this and definitely not like that. And the interesting thing in all of those contrasts is that the, the person who is the good example is never ever perfect. And I love that because of course we'll never be perfect, but we can still be a great example. And these are stories of people who are sometimes good examples, sometimes bad examples. And in a story like this, you get a comparison between the two. Well, Jehoshaphat, who's the king in the south, he was a godly king on the whole. Um, uh, but as I said, Ahab was steeped in idolatry and uh, he, well, I'll, I'll talk about some of the things that he did. Now, for all of his godliness, Jehoshaphat, though, made a very, very key blunder. He, this, this is a compromise, actually, that would affect the next generation profoundly. He entered into an alliance with King Ahab in the north as a way of ensuring his, the security of his kingdom, which he didn't have to do because God said to Jehoshaphat, I'm gonna look after you. I will protect you. God made a promise to him. But, you know, we like, you know, he thought, I, better, I need a bit of a backup here. And he did what he should not have done and he entered into an alliance with the evil king Ahab, something God didn't want him to do. In fact, what he did is that he, he made that alliance in the way that in the ancient world they customarily made alliances. He married his son to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Jezebel uh, before, uh, but she's another really bad character uh, in the Bible. And um, the, uh, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel 
uh, Ataliah is actually gonna cause some real problems in the southern kingdom. Now, small compromises can lead to massive consequences. That's not what I'm gonna talk about tonight, but that's what happens there. Uh, in that moment, that little lapse of faith of Jehoshaphat, oh, I just need a bit of backup. I know God's told me not to do this, but I'm just gonna do it anyway. That's gonna be a disaster in the next generation. And I mean, a real disaster. Anyway, so Ahab and Jehoshaphat are hanging out together and Ahab asks Jehoshaphat if he would help him take back a city, Ramoth-Gilead, that had been taken by the Arameans up in the northeast. Now Jehoshaphat agrees on the condition that they seek the counsel of God on this matter. Now Ahab says, fine, that's, I, I've, I've got just the people. If you want, we, we can seek the counsel of God. And he calls on his 400 prophets, the guys on his payroll, who, who are gonna tell him exactly what he wants to hear. You know, wheel out the prophets, wheel out the guys that are gonna tell me all of the things that I wanna hear. And we're gonna pick up the story from 2 Chronicles 18, verse five. So this story is told in the book of Kings, in 1 Kings 22, but it's also told in slightly more expanded form in 2 Chronicles 18. Chronicles and Kings tell the same story from slightly different perspectives. And it's a great feature uh, of, uh, of the Bible. You get a little bit more detail in some of these stories. Okay, <clears throat> so we pick it up from when Ahab is calling on all of his prophets to come in and tell him what he wants to hear. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, brought together the prophets, 400 men, and he asked them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I not? Now you can imagine, you know, he's in the, in the throne room, right? And there's guards on the perimeter and they're like, you know, slapping their swords like threateningly on the outside, like, come on guys, make sure you tell him exactly what he wants to hear. And obediently enough, they say, as it says here, go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? I mean, isn't there a real prophet around here somewhere? Well, there would be more. It's just that Ahab had them all killed. Why? Because they kept telling him things that he didn't wanna hear. The king of Israel, Ahab, answered Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one prophet, right? There's still one guy that survived. There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Hmm, the king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called 
one of his officials and said, all right, bring Micaiah, son of Imli, at once. Now, meanwhile, verse nine, dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the gate, the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says. With these, you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. He's gonna get some extra money for that one. Verse 11, All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth and Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, now look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, surely as the Lord lives, I can Only tell him what my God says. Now, when he arrived, the king, Ahab, asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Remoth Gilead or shall I not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, all right then. That bit's not in the text, just my little embellishment. All right then. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. Now kings in the ancient world were referred to as the shepherds of their people. Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, you are not shepherding your flock. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let everyone go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me? but only bad. Well, there's more to Micaiah's prophecy and you can read this uh, for yourself. There's some really interesting stuff there. But to summarize the rest of the story, Ahab, predictably, slaps Micaiah in prison and he somehow manages to convince Jehoshaphat to still fight this battle with him. So while Jehoshaphat shows some willingness to hear from God, he actually in the end doesn't really heed what God says. I mean, he really wants to keep this alliance healthy because he feels like this protects him, right? So I'm just gonna, I know God, you've said not to, but somehow he decided I'm just gonna go into this anyway. And the battle, as Micaiah predicted, was an absolute disaster. Ahab was killed. Amazingly though, Jehoshaphat was, he should have been killed, but Jehoshaphat was spared because in the midst of the battle that he shouldn't have been fighting in the first place, he cried out to God when he was about to be killed and God delivered him. Even though he was in a battle that he should not have been in, God still delivered him when he called out because God always wants us 
to turn to Him. No matter how far away, no matter if we're in the worst possible situation, God says, just turn back to me. This is the God of grace. And so Jehoshaphat does that and he's spared. However, when he returns, there's another prophet waiting for him. Just waiting there till he comes back. And this prophet's got a hard word for Jehoshaphat. So 2 Chronicles 19. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returns safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, a seer is a kind of prophet, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and he said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. Like God's angry, Jehoshaphat, because you took a whole lot of your soldiers and you took them into a battle that I told you was gonna be a disaster and probably thousands of them were killed. And I told you not to do it. Of course God's gonna be angry about that. It's a hard word. But he also says that in verse three, there is however some good in you. For you have rid the land of Asherah poles and you have set your heart on seeking God as he did. And that in fact, how he was even alive to face this prophet in the first place. It's a hard word. This is a hard word for Jehoshaphat. Now the question is, does Jehoshaphat now do what Ahab did to Micaiah? Chuck him in jail. How dare you talk to me like that? I'm the king, mate. No. He actually heeds the word of this prophet. And we know that because the next time, I mean, he has some, another little lapse, Jehoshaphat, but the next time actually, and soon after this, in fact, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah are faced with a much bigger army. But this time, Instead of running up to the king of the north for help, Jehoshaphat remembers this word. And he says, all right, I'm gonna call out on God. And he calls on God. And his prayer, it's a beautiful prayer. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And you can read that prayer for yourself. But I'm gonna pick up from verse 13 after his prayer. It says here, all the men of Judah and their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. This is as he prayed this prayer, right? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. Verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle isn't yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. Verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Now notice all along the way, God is speaking. This is one of the main things that's highlighted in this story. This constancy of God speaking. Even to Ahab, when you look at the life of Ahab, who just did some shocking things. But all of the time, God was sending in his prophets, another one and another one and one, two, three, that were, hundreds of them were killed. But God kept sending in his prophets because God really wanted to get through to his people. And all the way through this story, God is speaking and he's speaking and he's shepherding his people. 
And sometimes it's a hard word and sometimes it's a word of affirmation like this. And often, if you're willing to listen to the hard word, you'll also receive the affirmation just like Jehoshaphat. You get this sense that God is constantly shepherding his people with his rod and his stuff, just like it says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the staff was this thing that kind of had a hook in the end and you could hook it around the, the neck of the sheep and yank them back where you wanted them to be, right? And the, and the staff is like a club, and obviously for fending off predators, but it was also a club that was used to discipline the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me? Absolutely. Because the point is, that's, that's how God keeps me on the path. That's how God keeps me on the path of righteousness. You know, as I, as I look, I've, I've been on this Christian journey for a long time. And as I look back, I can honestly say the most important moments in my the most important moments, moments of incredible breakthrough where it's been like the damn walls have just been broken, right? And God gets through to me. Have inevitably been when God got a word through to me that I did not want to hear. And this is a really key point that I wanna highlight tonight. I have learned that very often the thing that you most need to hear from God is the very thing you least want to hear. Our hearts, in a way, are like cars with really bad wheel alignment, you know. We just veer off in our attitudes. It's just, it's our human, it's just our natural human brokenness, right? We veer off. And we need this, we need this constant work of salvation. If you don't recognize this, you are gonna get lost. If it's left up to us, we'll just wander away and become like lost sheep, ever living like lost sheep. No, we need the constant saving work of our shepherd, his rod and his staff, we need it constantly to keep us back on that track. Honestly, if God had not done that again and again and again and again, I would not be here talking to you today. But he has led me to the most beautiful still waters and the green pastures and occasionally I think, this is amazing. How did I get here? And I'll tell you how I got here with a heck of a lot of correction along the way. Yank, whack, yank, whack. And there's so much love in this because God loves us. And he's not, he, you know, it's his faithfulness to us is such that he is not gonna let you go. He's not gonna let you go. 
He purchased your life with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he really, as I said, as I say many times, he really wants to get what he paid for and that's you. I often, when I have conversations with people about baptism, I often explain, listen, when you get baptized, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's your declaration of commitment to God, but it's not just that. When you get baptized, God is actually making a declaration of commitment over you. Because let's face it, you're gonna stray here and there. You're gonna stray, that's, we all like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah says, it's just, we're like, our human nature is like car with battle, bad wheel alarm. It's gonna happen. But God, our shepherd, he constantly keeps at it. It's his commitment to us, absolutely committed to us. And it's often happens by us discovering something about ourselves that we really don't wanna see. <laughs> we love being right. We just love being right. But very often, we're in the wrong. And sometimes we're more committed to being right than we are to knowing the truth. As I said, very often the thing that you most need to hear from God is actually the thing that you least want to hear. So many people um, get distressed you know, by this sense of spiritual inertia. This is such a, a, a common thing, this sense of uh, inertia, this spiritual deadness that overcomes you. It's like, I just can't. I can't feel, I feel like I'm blind. You have this memory of, of times when you felt really close to God, but it's like you've lost it, you know, and you can't, it's like your heart has gone, you know, your heart has gone a bit dead. And often, you know, it's like we scramble around trying to, trying to kind of solve this. But invariably, what I found when I go through it is invariably the very thing that I need to give me that lift, that breakthrough, is actually the very thing that I'm avoiding the most. And again and again, it's been that realization, that thing that God is pointing out in my life, that thing that is, that is getting in the way, that thing that has is, is, is turned my attention, whatever it is, that attitude that is leading me astray. It's like God is grieved by that because he loves me and he wants to speak to that so he can get me back on track again. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine just a normal human relationship because God wants to have a relationship, right, with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And relationships, as you know, are built on communication. It's gotta be good communication, otherwise you've got no relationship. Now imagine in, say, a relationship, your relationship with a really good friend, right? Now imagine that your friend does something that really grieves you, like a real, a real act of betrayal, right? And you feel really grieved by this. And so you, you, know, you wanna get together with that friend and actually communicate to them how much that has grieved you. 
And sometimes that's the situation with us and God. It's like we harbour these attitudes that really grieve God. We play God in ways like God's standing back. Are you going to let me, God? Or you just... Or you're just going to do it yourself. And it really grieves God, right? Now imagine in a relationship with a friend where you're in a situation like they've really grieved you. And you go and you try and talk to them about it. Listen, I really need to talk about this. You really, this, you, mate, you really broke my heart. But imagine your friend says, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Let's just, I don't want to talk about that. Let's just, let's just kind of, um, Let's just keep being friends and just forget about that. And, and uh, let's just do all the friendy, lovey-dovey, slap on the back, you know, good times. You know, let's just get on with life, mate. And you're like, no, no, but I actually, this is really getting in the way. I feel like we really need to, we need to discuss this because it really grieved me what you did, you know. But imagine your friend says, no, no, no. And when you go to tell them, listen, and they're like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to hear. I don't, don't, don't I, I, I just want all the good stuff. Let's just be not, you know. And it's like, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to the good stuff. But when a relationship, when something's gone wrong in the relationship, you've got to communicate through it. And you do that. We do that with each other because we value those friendships. The more you value a friendship, the more willing that you'll, that you'll be to do that. Now, how much more so with God? When God comes to us and he says, listen, Listen, boyo, listen, girly. That's what I call my kids. <laughs> listen, boy, you really broke my heart. It really breaks my heart, that stuff. Why do you do that? You keep doing that. And what do we do then? so hard for us to receive that. But let me tell you, if you can hear that voice of God, you know what I reckon? I think one of the, let me think about how to explain this. One of the things that happens, just let me see if I can explain this again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one of the things that happens is that it's like there's this sense of God speaking to our hearts by spirit. Like he wants to get something through us. Like, like you know, God is really grieved and he just wants to reach out and he wants, to, he wants to have a chat with us about that. But what happens is our spiritual enemy, the devil who's a liar, right, and who constantly twists the truth, comes in, right? It's like, he, you know, he wants to get in on it. Yeah, and you, you, God hates you. And God's like, no, 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 whoa, whoa. It's not like God, it's not... Um, It's not like God's out of control, but actually God allows that to happen because he wants us to get used to telling the difference between a truth and a lie. So he actually doesn't shut the devil up because we've got to learn how to overcome the liar. We've got to learn how to tell the difference between those voices. And often, see, what happens is, is that we sense, oh man, I've gone really wrong, right? And the devil comes in, it's like, oh great, you are condemned, you're hopeless, you're condemned, you're go-. and it's like, and you can't, you can never come back to God. Oh, you've gone too far. You've gone too far now. You can never come back to God. He's lying to you and we believe it. Because, you know, it's like our, our conscience is telling us, oh no, and he's working with that, Right? He's just gonna drive it in. Yeah, don't you, don't you think you can come back to God now? 
the devil says. Don't think you can come, but you've gone too far. And it's such a lie. Because God communicates that stuff to us because he longs for us to come back. He longs for, how much does he long for us to come back? So much so that he paid for that guilt in Jesus Christ. So that we could be forgiven. And so I think there's this, there's this kind of thing that we do where, where it's like we avoid hearing that because it gets so mixed up with condemnation. It's like, oh, no. but you know, this is the thing that I have learned. Man, uh, the damn wall of God's spirit pouring into my life has been smashed again and again and again by the rod and the staff of my shepherd. This little damn wall that's built up, you know, and God just wants to pour in His Spirit into my heart, right? And I just, you know, I built up, I'm, you know, I've done, I've just harbored wrong attitudes and I hold on to them like this, you know, it's like, you know. And He comes in with His rod and His staff, right? And He goes, smash! And like, you know, it's like, and, and it's, it's actually God in His zeal and His love saving me. And I can feel it in my conscience. Oh man, I'm, you know, and, and I can do either of two things. I can listen to the liar and I can run away from God. Or I can feel the pain of where I've gone wrong and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I tell you, all heaven rejoices in that moment. It is the single most important breakthrough you will ever have. I don't know what you think spiritual breakthrough looks like, but I would suggest to you that something that makes all of heaven rejoice, I'd say that's a breakthrough. And Jesus said, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. Over one person who having gone wrong actually is willing to receive the word and say, oh Lord, I, I see it. I, I actually share your grief, Lord. I'm sorry. Lord, help me to do better next time. Forgive me. And all of heaven rejoices. Because at the end of the day, there's only one thing that God wants. He just wants his little kids back. And that's you. And so the shepherd is coming after you. Let me tell you, the shepherd is coming after you. With his rod and his staff. Because he is committed to you. And I'm so thankful for that. Hey, why don't you stand with me? And we're going to recommit ourselves tonight. We're gonna, we're gonna make a very important gesture of recommitment. We're gonna ask God to break through to us. You know, when you, I'm gonna get the music team to come up. Thanks, guys. 
We're gonna ask God to break through to us. God, break through. You know, it's like, how do you hear the things that you don't wanna hear? I don't know if that question occurred to you at any point tonight. How do you hear the things that you don't wanna hear? Well, you just gotta say, God, would you break through to me? Would you break through to me? Because we've got to rely, not on our commitment to God. At the end of the day, we have to rely on God's commitment to us. And that commitment is expressed in the elements that we use in communion, which is this little thing that Jesus instituted, these physical gestures, physical symbols. Jesus says, I want you to use these symbols to recommit yourself to me. It's a celebration of what God paid for you. The cup represents the shed blood of Jesus and the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. It's what Jesus paid for you. And it's expressive of His commitment to you. And when we take the bread and the cup and we eat and drink, we're basically saying, yes, Jesus. It's like, rely, it's like grabbing onto God's commitment to us. It's that act of faith saying, God, break through to me. Yes, Jesus. And saying, thank you for your commitment to us. So we're gonna take some time tonight. I just wanna spend a few quiet moments before we do that. Why don't you just close your eyes for a few moments. Because I don't want anyone to leave this place if you're carrying a burden tonight. Is there a conversation that you need to begin tonight? Now, it's probably gonna be a long conversation. They're the best kind of conversations with God. But you can just begin that conversation. It might just be saying to God, Lord, I, I feel there's something wrong between me and you. Lord, would you, would you speak to me about that? I wonder if that's the prayer that you need. I wonder if that's what you need to pray tonight. Maybe there's something that you know. There's something sitting on your heart. And tonight, you just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for that, Lord. I'm sorry for that. I acknowledge that. Is there something tonight that God, by His Holy Spirit, is just putting His finger on? He's just putting His finger on it. What is that? What is it tonight that he's putting his finger on? I just want you to take a moment just to acknowledge that. I want you to just agree with God tonight. Yeah, I see that, Lord. I'm not gonna hide that anymore. Yeah, I've, I've messed up, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. Just take a moment with that. Father in heaven, tonight, Lord, we come to you, to your open arms. 
Father, we acknowledge so many lies swirling around and right now we fend them off because there is one truth and His name is Jesus Christ. And He gave His life so that we could come home to You. And so right now, Lord, we come with all of our baggage. We come, Lord, with all of our imperfection, with our failures, Lord, with all that we have done wrong. And we're gonna bundle that up right now. And we're gonna lay it at the foot of your cross. Lord, we're sorry for where we have gone wrong, for where we have strayed. Father, we're sorry that we have done things that we should not have done, that we haven't done things that we should have. Lord, we're sorry. Lord, would you speak to us again of these things with that voice of love? Would you set us free from the things that bind us? That we would walk with you in paths of righteousness that you would lead us, Lord, to green pastures and still waters. Lord, would you comfort us with your rod and staff and lead us, Lord. Thank you, Lord.